Welcome to the Leadership Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Jono White. I'm the founder and principal consultant of Clarity. We are an Australian-based consultancy that works with leaders around the world, and our passion is to invest in people to become everything they're meant to be in order to fill the world with healthy organizations that people love to work for and customers line up to buy from. The goal of this podcast is to invest in you and your leadership. If you're just joining us for the first time, then feel free to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there. The most popular being our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from around the world in all different sectors give their in-depth answers on leadership, what books they love, what they found most challenging, uh, the most meaningful stories, how they how they structure their time through the day. That's free, so go and check it out. And we'd love to interview you about your leadership. I believe you have advice from your experience, your context, and your life so far that is important and can help other leaders. It's also a great way to give back. It's free to get involved, and you can do so by going to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest, or just Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form that pops up. We have a free resource for you on our website. It's called Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57-page ebook. It has interviews with 10 world-class leaders, and you can go to consultclarity.org. It's right at the top and get that today. Uh, we also have a daily email that we send out to over 15,000 leaders, and that email contains the highlights, our best content from our podcasts, our blog, uh, my book, uh, the books that we're loving that are out there about leadership, it's also the best way to get access to our masterclasses and workshops before anyone else. And there's also exclusive and limited uh, special options just for subscribers. And you can subscribe by going to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe. Now, my gift to you is to work incredibly hard to provide the best leadership content I can to invest in you and your leadership. So if you're finding our content helpful, if you find this podcast helpful, then your gift to me uh, could be this. If you, if you do find it helpful, then write a review or rate our content and make sure you subscribe or follow. I can't emphasize enough how helpful that is. It really does help us to get the word out there so we can invest in more leaders to become everything they're meant to be. It also means a lot to me personally when people like you and people in our community share our content on social media. So if you do that, then please do look for me, Jono White, to tag me and look to tag Clarity uh, on whatever platform you're on. And our team, including me, I'm always looking to see when people have mentioned us so that I can engage with you. And also we look at sharing content. So if you you write something about something we've done, there's also a good chance we'll share that with our followers. So if you could do that, that is a massive, massive help as we try to invest in as many leaders as we can around the world. Last of all, you can check out my book about how to deal with difficult people even if you hate conflict. It's called Step Up or Step Out. It's available on Amazon. You can just look up Step Up or Step Out, John O'White, or you can go to store.consultclarity.org forward slash book and check it out there. I 
have coached leader after leader after leader and in more than 50% of the sessions, this topic comes up. How do I deal with this person? I'm finding it really difficult and, and I just wanna find a way that doesn't blow up to do a really, just to have a difficult conversation, to lead them better. How do I do that? There's a three-step process that I outline in this book that I believe can help you. Okay, let's get into today's episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Enjoy. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast. Today's guest is Liam Mayo. Liam is the CEO and Managing Director of Comlink Australia. Welcome to the podcast, Liam. G'day, Jono. Thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Yeah, I'm pumped to hear some of your story. Uh, Before we get into that, tell us a little bit about what you do at Comlink Australia and uh, what you do in your role as CEO and Managing Director. Uh, Thanks, Jono. Look, Comlink Australia uh, is an organisation that has the absolute privilege of walking the journey uh, with Australians as they age at home and in their communities. So we support people to stay at home as long as possible as they age. Uh, We do in-home aged care support for people, uh, as well as transport uh, for those people who are ageing and unable to to drive any longer. So we help them to connect um, to their community um, uh, as they're ageing. Um, we're based on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland, but we service uh, all the way up the coast as far um, north as Cairns um, and as far west as Toowoomba as well. Um, and we like to think of ourselves as the uh, re- regional and rural specialist at in-home and community care um, because we believe that it's those, those smaller communities that really benefit uh, services like ours. So we're a not-for-profit organisation. Uh, we've got a, a turnover of about 27 uh, mil uh, a year. Uh, and somewhere between uh, 350 to 400 uh, full-time staff and volunteers, uh, depending on what activities we've got going um, at different times in the year. So it's my privilege to lead that organisation. Um, I really enjoy working in community and in particular working with, with people who, uh, without services like ours, would be uh, somewhat isolated or vulnerable in the community. So it's good to keep those people connecting because um, mm. I think it's important for us yeah. as a community to, to reflect on what it means to support people when they're at their most vulnerable. Yeah, I, I think um, what you do for exactly the reason you just mentioned about supporting people at their most vulnerable, I really believe you're in one of the most you know, important sectors um, there is. And I, I, I think it's also an, an area culturally where we, we can do so much better. So I, I love hearing uh, about leaders who are passionate about this area and really um, prioritizing and caring for people at their most vulnerable, you know, when, when they're in the uh, older stage of life. Yeah, yeah, and I, I do, it, you genuinely, it's, I think it's really important, you know, we're here to talk about leadership, but I think it is important for, for leaders to frame the work that we're doing in this space as a privilege. You know, we, we, we in Australia have recently had a Royal Commission that told us some fairly harrowing truths around what it means for us to age at home in Australia. Uh, and, you know, people that we work with, um, people that we love, uh, people that live close to us, uh, whether they be neighbours or in the community, um, if you're ageing in Australia at the moment and you're looking down the barrel of going into a residential aged care or, or seeking support uh, from, from institutions within our community, 
there's some fairly confronting truths that we heard for that Royal Commission that would make me feel really anxious about that. And, you know, we can see that with all the people that we work with, that, that ability to navigate their future and the control that they have to navigate their own futures is slowly slipping away from them. Um, and so what does it mean for us as uh, who work alongside those people and work to support those people to provide them with the ability to continue to maintain their agency? And that's why I mentioned before, it's really important for us at Comlink Australia um, to position ourselves in those regional and rural communities because that's where people feel safest. You know, if, if, if I've got married, raised my family, worked, uh, lived, retired, um, in, in a regional community in Australia, I, I, I want to stay there as long as I can because that's that's where my networks are, that's where I feel mm. most comfortable um, and that's where I know I can continue to contribute to my community and I have purpose and meaning. And so I think, you know, when, we th when we're reflecting on what we do here at Comlink Australia and what my role is as a leader to an organisation that supports those people, it's important to A, frame it as a privilege but B, frame it in, uh, through that lens that you've just described as a, we've got to be really, and do some really deep reflection, um, knowing what we know about how we're treating those people culturally and that we do need to, we, we do need to have a significant um, change in the way we're talking and dealing with these matters and these communities um, because it's mm. important for our future, you know? And it's yeah. important for us to think about, you know, what we want the future to look like for all of us. 100%. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with with um, with everything you said there, and um, love love your approach and the work you're doing. Let's jump into your story. I want to start with your childhood and growing up. As you reflect on that time of your life, Liam, uh, can you think of any of the moments or even themes from your childhood that really shaped you into the person and leader you are today? Yeah, I I had a really um... A really interesting childhood and and uh, was fortunate enough to have a fairly rich um, um, set of experiences as a child I grew up as a as a young boy I was born in Brisbane uh, in Australia um, but at a very young age um, in my primary school years moved to Fiji so I, I grew up in Fiji as an expat kid um, but alongside uh, a diversity of different people from uh, different cultures and different nations different religious beliefs and backgrounds. Um, I went to an international school in Fiji. Um, and then when I reached high school age, I moved to New Zealand and, and, and did my high school years in New Zealand. Uh, again, um, enjoying the diversity of, of uh, worldviews um, and backgrounds of people there that I grew up with. Um, and then when I, when I finished um, my high school years, um, set back out and uh, ended up finding myself back out in Australia, but I've spent a lot of my uh, formative years and particularly through my early stages of my career traveling. But as a young child um, growing up uh, uh, um, uh, within um, communities that were uh, deeply diverse and, and for me being the child that was um, in the minority um, and, and, you know, that was really rare for someone you know, like myself, uh, when I when we go back to the Western Western cultures, where I where I'm part of the majority. So as a young uh, a young child to grow up as the minority, um, I was exposed to some really interesting experiences about what it would feel like to not be able to speak the language, um, to be able to understand what the cultural norms were, and how I needed to um, mould myself and reflect on myself and my practices to to 
to uh, help myself fit in, but you know, in school and community with my friends, people I was playing sport with, um, and I, you know, I, I still hold that those experiences as, as really core to um, how I approach my leadership now today and, and how I think about uh, what it means for me to position myself um, and the privilege that I have um, as a leader uh, with the people that, that, that lead me, both in my organisation and the community. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's that's fascinating, and and I it's great to understand. Like I always, I always find those sort of stories about moving internationally. Um, you know, just like because I I lived in the one city growing up my my whole life here in Brisbane, and I'm still here. So I'm always trying to understand and put myself in the shoes of what it must have been like. Um, tell me about the I guess from your from your eyes as as a child and then as a teenager, what were the biggest differences you experienced, um, you know, from Australia to Fiji to New Zealand? I, I, you know, I think, I mean, it's, it's easy. I mean, the easy answer to say is, um, you know, that there are those sort of significant cultural differences between the three different nations. Um, but I think, you know, I think for me, fundamentally, you know, when we're talking about culture, you know, we're talking about power dynamics and, and structures of power and how those structures of power um, push different values and push different ways of behaving and, and different attitudes to the world. And so for me, you know, I was the oldest um, of, of three boys, I got two younger brothers. Um, and we became really, really close because we grew up, you know, moving between different countries and different cultures. Um, and, and the differences that I learned there really for me um, between those three different cultures is, is, the, um, is the lens with which people and those cultures put on family, first and foremost. And you say, as you can imagine, in Fiji, it's a very family-centric community. You know, family comes first. And, you know, I, I now find myself working in, in the aged care sector and supporting people to age. Those things are sort of, it's a given that if in, in Fiji and Pacific Island communities that uh, the elderly are cared for by their family. You know, whereas in Australia, we have institutions to do that, whether they be private uh, or, or, or public. Um, in, in Fiji and Pacific Island communities, it's a given that the family will support, will support aging people. And then I think, you know, zooming out from the family, um, that real focus on community and strength and power that comes from community and that community is, is first and foremost uh, when it comes to thinking about how we go out and we navigate the world. So we have strength in family, strength in community, and then we can go out and we can attack the world and all the things that, that life um, has in store for us, challenges and opportunities. They're done from a really strong foundation of, of family and community. As I sort of moved away from Fiji as a, as a young boy and into New Zealand and then back to Australia, you sort of start to see those um, foundations of family and community dilute, you know, in the way that I describe, you know, particularly from the from the lens of ageing, it's the most obvious. We don't do that as much here in Australia, but we, we, there's also that dilution of community and community um, has almost become an artificial sort of construct for us in Australia and we see conversations around community led by people like politicians or led by, you know, property developers or led by local governments rather than led by the communities themselves. And I, and I think, and I don't necessarily think that that's, um, and I don't mean that to sound like a dire 
um, situation. I certainly don't mean may, mean to make that sound as though um, you know there's a, an erosion of Australian community in a way that's fundamentally um, um, you know exposing people or exposing. Uh, the, the, the future of Australian society, anything that's more stark that has come before. But I think it's an important conversation for us to have and, and, and an important conversation to reflect on when you've had the opportunity to travel across uh, cultures and across nations and to pick up learnings from how other people and how other cultures do things so we can reflect on that as ourselves um, here in Australia and, and, and within our own communities and families. You know, I'm a young, fa uh, a young father as well. I've got a, I got a six and a four-year-old um, at home and, and we talk a lot about, um, and just last night we are having a conversation at dinner about what are our family values and then how do those family values meet the broader community? You know, both my boys are uh, just starting off at school in kindy. So they're talking about, you know, the values that they talk about, about at school in kindy and kindy how that reflects, that's their beginning of them understanding a broader community. And so talking about those things and reflecting on those things uh, become fundamental for me because of the experiences I had as a young, as a young child. Yeah, I love that you're having those conversations about family values. And um, it's, uh, it's also really fascinating to hear you talk. Uh, you know, I, I think particularly your time in Fiji, now you must look at and it's such an interesting part of your journey that must shape some some fascinating um worldview and perspective because of being you know seeing the way they care culturally for um for those who are older in fiji i love that you were sort of exposed to that at a young age because now you're leading in this space here in australia and i think we have so much to learn like it doesn't have to look the same but i think we need to learn from other cultures that um you know I, i'm married into a greek family and i see in a similar way uh that the the greek culture you know really honors and and um just just looks after their elderly differently to our sort of um general uh, western culture yeah, yeah, I think it is. I think you're right, Jono, and it is interesting for us to reflect on personally as well and, and um, you know, all of us to reflect on personally the lessons we can learn across culture. But, but as I said before, I think, you know, for me there's something fundamentally interesting about um, the, the structures of power that exist within culture. And, and I think, you know, for example, for me, Fiji in particular, you know, was um, colonised by the British, um, and it is still part of the Commonwealth, obviously. But conversations that were happening for me, you know, as a young boy, I was there post coup in Fiji. So that was where you know the, F the Fijians really um, had a view that they wanted to have greater control over their own future. Um, and and for me, it's always interesting to reflect on um, the way that people um, try to find agency over their own future and what they will do and the lengths that people will go to, to to hold on to agency, to have decision over the future that they want to have for themselves. And again, you know, I mentioned that before, you know, for people who are aging in Australia and how confronting that must be and, and, and watching that, observing that as a young child in Fiji, what it was like for a community that had a really diverse tapestry of, um, you know, those who had colonised and those who were colonised um, in a small island nation having really confronting conversations. And like I say, it was a military coup that happened in Fiji, albeit it wasn't, um, 
it wasn't a violent coup, but it was about a, a group of people who who had a connection to that country that was far longer than the, the connection of the colonisers taking back their control and taking back agency for their future. Um, and that's something that's really stuck with me and, and something that I, I really hold on to and think about, um, you know, in, in the work I do. And like I say, it's certainly influenced the way I think about what it means to age, you know, and, mm. and just recently now in Australia, you know, we, the new government that, you know, they're, we're now having conversations about uh, A, what it means to, to become a republic. So we, we see that emerging at the moment for us in Australia, but we're also having this, this uh, conversations that are uh, far more confronting, I believe, about our history, right? And a voice to parliament for our First Nations people here in Australia. Mm -hmm. um, you know, for me, that, that, we're at a really fascinating point in, in our history as Australians, because we're talking about, you know, a, a, a nation that was colonised and, and those power structures that have been in place and how leaders, and I, and I mean leaders, like well, lots of leaders from diverse backgrounds are trying to unpack what that means and what those power structures have been so, you know, they can all find space to create agency for the people that they represent. And it's a fascinating time for us to be here. And, and that's, you know, something that stands out for me because of how I grew up. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so if we fast forward from there, uh, you know, as you mentioned, growing up and, and having the chance to live in Fiji and then do high school in New Zealand, um, through that time or even, you know, into your sort of 20s, do you remember one of your first leadership opportunities, the first time you felt you were really in the deep end, leading a group of people, uh, casting vision for a project or really the responsibility was yours for something and you, and you were leading something? What, what comes to mind? I, I had I was really lucky that I um, got to go um, and be part of a um, part of an exchange group that went to Mexico. So I spent twelve months in Mexico um, doing my undergraduate. So I was twenty one, I think. Um, yeah, I turned twenty two while I was there. So I was um, I spent a year in Mexico with a group of um, foreign exchange students, um, really tight knit. Um, and we were doing some research projects there as part of our undergraduate studies. And I was asked to be sort of like a student liaison, um, student mentor uh, while I was there. And, and, I, and I was asked to do it and, and um, I didn't really understand why. And I thought it would be a bit of fun. Um, uh, you know, it's always good to meet new people. Um, but what, what I found that um, struck me most profoundly and affected me through that time while I was doing that work and, and liaising with the different students and, and, and supporting them to, to connect both, you know, to the community that was there, but also um, the community um, back home for them. So they, was, they remain linked to their universities was, I really enjoyed the ability to connect, of connecting with people and helping people to navigate sort of really complex challenges or highly emotional challenges that were emerging for them. And, and using that connection that I had with them to support them through that change um, and to understand what was meaningful for them. Um, and so for me, it was about connecting one-on-one -on -one with people to help a larger group of people transition through that project um, and transition through that, that, you know, that length of time that we were there. Um, and I, I really enjoyed that. And, and it was a learning that I took away from my time there um, and sort of helped me to to sort of shape the career that I wanted to have after that. 
Were there any lessons you learned in that? Because I can imagine, you know, at that age, doing what you're doing, it must have been incredibly formative. Any lessons that have really stuck with you from leading in that space? Uh, look, I think, you know, when you're working with people, there's always, um, you know, there's always there's always something to take away um, and there's always something to reflect on. For me, um, there is that. I, I remember really early on having that realization that your assumptions or your assumptions away, uh, your assumptions about the way people should think, believe, behave, respond to the world around them um, are always going to be fundamentally flawed. Um, you know, it's that old saying about you should never assume. Um, and, and what I learned through that was, was this sort of patience to sit with people um, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, my very disposition is usually to move quite fast, to be impatient. I'm always itchy. I'm always a bit jumpy, but I find, I, I found that sort of reflecting on that and, and, and slowing down and taking time to connect to people and hear from them what their worldviews were, uh, and, and how their worldviews differed from mine helped me to understand how I was then able to help them, um, to navigate the change that was was happening around us and was was in particular happening for them um so yeah i think that there is that that um the the reflection that everybody has their own experience everybody has built their own conditioning around their, those experiences and it's that conditioning that informs the way they respond to the world and and you can never assume that yours is going to be the same as others in fact it, it mm. never really is you know even when you find people that are similar to you there's there's differences that exist there so I think for me, that leadership lesson of slowing down, even though I want to go fast and allowing <laughs> that time to connect, even allowing that time to connect for people is never time wasted, you know? Yeah, it's and it's funny. I've learned a lot doing this podcast. It's probably the best uh, education. Um, one of the, oh, I'll say one of the best times of education in my life from 200 episodes chatting with great leaders and, and just getting to ask them these sort of questions. And um, I found it interesting how, like, I always I always knew and, and I always believed listening was right up there is really important, but it really has, like, this idea of, like you said, not just listening, but that really, like, paying attention to making sure that people around you feel heard and really, really trying to understand and that empathy and listening it, it comes up almost more than anything else. And um, I, I want to ask you, you mentioned there, and I love how you said it, that you are naturally a faster mover. And I, I know there'll be listeners, some listeners will be slower movers like me, where, um, and, and, that's, um, and, that's, and that's great. But I know there'll be listeners who are going, oh, wow, yeah, that's me. Maybe they're earlier in their leadership journey and they're just realizing they're naturally a real fast mover. My question is, how do you stay true to yourself like, and, and, and sort of not change in terms of how you're wired because that's who you are? And like, how have you managed being naturally a fast mover with taking on board stuff like listening and, and, you know, and, and slowing down when you need to? How have you, how have you balanced that? Oh, that's, a, that's a great question, um, Jono. I think that... You know, I think there's a the word that's thrown around way too much in this space is authenticity. You know, like, and I think it's a buzzword that's popped up, and 
and um, and you know, particularly as the world gets more and more transactional, um, you know, I think that the, this this call for for authenticity and leadership is is sort of overplayed quite a bit to the point where it, it becomes redundant itself and it becomes a transactional term. But I, but I, I want to use it for the sake of responding to your question because because I've just been talking, I was just talking about this idea of authentic leadership um, a couple of days ago uh, with a group of friends of mine. Um, and, you know, I think you, you need to get to a point and it's part of maturity, right? Like it's, it, it's, it's, it's about, you know what I'm, there are things that I am really good at and that I can do for the people around me as a leader, um, that they're going to, they're going to come to Liam and they're going to say, this is what Liam can do for me. And I know Liam will nail this thing. And he does this really well. And there are things that I just can't do for people or I don't do as well as I, I wish I could do. And that's just, it's just not in my nature. It's not in my disposition. I'll try really hard to do those things, but I won't be able to do it. And I think there's an authenticity that, you know, as you mature as a leader and you spend more time in the space and you have those awkward, cringeworthy, embarrassing moments, those public kind of, um, you know, where you publicly fall on your face in front of a group of people that you wish you never did. Um, you know, you learn all the time. And I think that that authenticity is going, this is where I, this is where I, I hit my stride and this is what I do really well. And the things that I don't do well, I'm just going to name that and I'm going to own that and I'm going to be really honest about that. So I put people around me consciously that either compliment me when I'm doing the stuff that I, that I do really well and they can help me do that better or pick up on my deficits um, and compliment me where I where I potentially have weaknesses, you know. And, and I think it sounds it sounds really simple, but it's really hard to do to, to to kind of to find those people and build that team around you and, and have that in a circle that you trust. Um, but I but I think that the the easiest step to get yourself there is to reflect and be really authentic about saying I'm just going to own these are the things that I don't do well. And you know, my my crew know that my 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 inner circle around me, my team. No, you know, I love a half hour meeting. I, I, I'm not good. Once we get to 31, 32 minutes into the meeting, I'm getting fidgety. I want to move. I want to go and do other stuff. Um, I'm not I'm not great on on, um, on, on the go slow, uh, long conversation stuff. And so they respond, you know, and they and they work with me and they go, Liam, we need you here for another 30 because we're not there. Or let's take a break and come back when we're, you know, when when you know, Liam's gone off and done something else and then he's come back um, and he wants to hit it again for another 30. Um, and conversely, um, that what they get out of me in that 30 is, you know, white heat. We're, we're there, we're deep, we're working hard and we're moving and, and that's my commitment to them through that. So so I think it, you know, I think to, to back to your question and to your point, I think it's about maturing and having a sort of really sophisticated look at yourself and going, I, there's some things you you know we need to be honest and go I need to change this about myself if I want to be a good leader I need to change this and I need to work on this and I need to develop this but there's also I think a real authenticity in saying these are actually just the things that I do and this is the way that I'm comfortable to work and I know this gets results um, I'm just going to keep doing this but where I do have my deficits I'm going to put people around me and I'm going to own those deficits be honest about that with those people um, and I'm going to take them on the journey with me. You know, I think that's that's kind mm. of it, Jono, mm. to be honest. 
Yeah, one. Yeah. I, I love uh, a bunch of things you said there. Obviously, the building the team around you with that perspective, uh, you know, to find people who are really, you know, will really complement your strengths and those who can really help in the areas where you're aware that you're, um, you know, that, that you have weaknesses. But the thing I love most that you said there is is around naming it. And I think as a leader, this is like we underestimate this so much. As a leader, if you can name your own limitations, like you just talked about there, you know, once it gets to 31 minutes, I, I'm struggling. So like I'm, I'm itching to go and do something else. What you're doing by saying that is, number one, you're modeling to your team. If you have things like this, just speak up. It's okay. And then it beca- it makes it like uh, you're giving everyone permission to talk about it. So I find this with teams, just by articulating that to each other, suddenly when Liam's checking out a bit in 32 minutes one of your team can say liam are you uh you know it's past 30 minutes are you itching for a break and it kind of gives you language to address what otherwise are some awkward um or can be like big it's a big deal whereas when you articulate it and it it can just get rid of so much of that tension and it gives everyone some language to sort of uh, maybe it's an aussie thing but tongue-in-cheek sort of almost pay each other out about it um, gently as a way of dealing with it rather than let it sit up, you know, sit unsettled or, or blow up. Oh, you're right. And, and I think, you know, for, for those of us who really want to excel in this space and be, and this is probably where the authenticity piece comes in. It's also about, it's also about providing those people space for, for them to, to name the things that they need, you know, and, and, you know, the amount of times I'll finish, you know, a, a, um, a session with one of my team, a one-on-one with my team, go, okay, what, what do you need from me? Like, what are the things that you need from me? You know, I think that's, that's the power in this. So as much as it's about me saying, you know, you know, I have, I get itchy feet. I like to move fast. Um, you know, and these are the things that I get to 31 minutes and you're starting to lose me. So keep things short, sharp and, and concise. Conversely, it's also about me asking from them, what do you need from me so I can I can be my best for you as well? You know, and, I, and as long as we're doing that, like as long as you're getting the light with the shade, mm. um, then you're really hitting your stride. Then that's that's the leadership kind of kicking in then. You're not just being a, you know, a manager and sort of saying, okay, for me to get my KPIs, you know, I need to do this. So I put, it, it's, the, it's the reciprocity and that kind of, positioning as well of the conversation so it's a it's a give and take you know i think that's where we're really finding some interesting spaces as leaders yeah i agree no that's 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 so good well um let's jump into leadership express i there's a few there's obviously a lot more of your story we didn't get to so i'd love to invite you back for a follow-up episode um and we can we can talk more about some of the mentors in your career and and some aha moments in more recent years um so the invitation's there to to come back at some point i appreciate that john yeah i look forward to that uh for the moment just so that we do um uh you know start start wrapping up i want to ask you some leadership express questions the first one what is a book that you've gifted to others or you recommend it to others uh on the road by jack kerouac on the road by jack kerouac okay excellent yeah have you read it no i haven't is it fiction or non-fiction uh non-fiction but it's 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 a fantastic and beautiful read um yeah from the 1950s, yeah, I recommend, and it's probably it's that book that I, every time I see it in a in a bookshop or or anywhere, yeah. I pick it up, 
because I know I'm going to give it to someone as a gift. It's a beautiful book. Oh, such a good answer. No, I haven't had that recommendation and I haven't read it. So I will, uh, I'll definitely check it out on the road. Love it. Um, one-on-one meetings. You mentioned this a little bit as we've chatted. What is one tip you'd give to leaders to run great one-on-one meetings? Um, I think, and I learned this, uh, you mentioned before mentors, I learned this from a mentor of mine, um, and this is a bit of an extension of what we were just discussing before, uh, uh, having a set of agreed expectations uh, with those people that you're leading. So uh, mm. turning up and, you know, whether it's the first time you're hi- you've just hired someone, it's the first one-on-one you're having, or you can, you can have a reset of those one-on-ones by saying, these are my expectations of uh, how our relationship's going to work and how these meetings are going to run. You do the same for me, so they're invited to do the same back for you, and you agree on those expectations, and it, it creates a great framework for really positive and productive conversations. Yeah, I love that. That's that's great advice. Uh, do you have any favourite questions you ask, whether you're with the board or you're with other stakeholders or um, you're meeting with a group of employees or running a workshop? Any favourite questions you'd like to ask? Um, yeah, I think that probably changes. I think, I think the, as I mentioned before, I, I like to finish particularly one-on-ones with my crew or a team meeting saying, what do you need from me so I can ensure that I'm delivering for those people around me? I want to be um, as much about that servant leadership piece as I am about leading out in front. Um, so what do you need from me? At the moment, um, I'm really interested in the how question. So how did we reach that conclusion? How did we get here? How is it that we've decided that these are the things that we're going to do? Oh, yeah. I, I try to focus yeah. a lot on that how piece at the moment because I think by unpacking the how is mm. how we really get to the crux of either the challenge or the opportunity that we're discussing. So anything that's framed from a how perspective, I'm into mm. at the moment, Jono. Yeah, yeah. No, I love a good, I love a good how question, and and even just taking a statement, stopping ourselves, and and turning it into a how question, is um, it, you know, or or any open any open ended question. But I love a good how question around um, you know, when particularly for leaders, when we're meeting with people and we're wanting to empower, which comes up a lot. If you can stop yourself from making a statement and turn it into a how do you see the blah blah blah? You know, uh, you know, happening in the next few months, or ch- change it into a question where you then sit back and listen to them. So, I love a good how question. Um, do you have any favorite yeah. quotes? Uh, a quote that's really stuck with you, or that you, you know put up on the on the wall or on the screensaver of your phone or computer at some point? Any any quotes that you really enjoy? Um. Again, you know, I'm I'm really interested in this transition phase we're going through at the moment, um, mm. and um, we've been talking a lot about uh, this idea that we're you know we're living, and I'm I'm really interested in this idea of um, you know we're in post-normal times, you know that that the old ways of knowing things, the old normal um, is is dying, and a new mm-hmm. normal is yet to be born, and so we talk about that, and I've been talking to the, to my team a lot about that at the moment is. It, the old normal that we have is gone, a new normal is yet to arrive. And that, and that comes from a, a good friend of mine, Zia Sadar, who's also worth looking up, S-A-R-D-A-R, Zia Sadar. He's done some, he's, he's done some really fabulous writing around this idea of post-normal times mm. that I recommend um, any leaders who are interested in this transition phase that we're going through at the moment um, yeah. should look into. There's some, fr- there's some fun frameworks to play with in there too. 
Love it, love it. Zia Sadar, people can check uh, check um, him yeah. out. I haven't had that recommendation either, so I, I always love a new recommendation for listeners to go and uh, sink their teeth into and and uh, and enjoy. Uh, what about um, work life integration? I love that phrase. I'm, I, I've moved away from work life balance. I, I'm definitely yeah. a proponent more of work life integration. But any any advice to leaders who are listening on on how to yeah, how to do work-life integration in, in a healthy way in 2022? I think you have a four and a six-year-old and you've got no choice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <it's> a, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, once you're, when you've got toddlers, you have no choice but to just be completely uh, consumed by by being a parent and being available to them. <laughs> Look, that, that, that's my that's my work-life integration. And I love that term. I haven't heard that before, mate, so I'm going to borrow that if you don't mind. But, oh, you know, I, we, I again, didn't come up with it, so go for it. <laughs> It's not mine. That, that conversation, I, I mentioned that conversation before about authentic leadership. In that same conversation, we we're having this chat about, you know, people used to bang on a lot about, um, about oh, you know, you're not allowed to send emails on the weekend or after, you know, five o'clock at night, you know, mm. because people start to feel that their pressure to do the same. And they're, I think those conversations need to just die. And I think that I think we need to move beyond that because if we've learned anything from COVID, and anything from the push that's happening at the moment around flexible work environments and and all those sorts of things is that people will work and they'll be at their best when they want to be at their best. And mm-hmm. I think it's about finding that integration. And and what I like to do is, I, you know, I'm, as soon as I get off this podcast to you, I'm off to pick the boys up from school. Wednesday is my school pickup day. Yeah. Um, and I make it known to everybody in the office, um, everyone uh, across all of our offices. In fact, Liam does Wednesday afternoon pickups for Cassidy and Pat because that's just what I do because that's that's what dads should do. And um, that's mm-hmm. part of my work-life integration. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, I think it is about being really open and honest with all the people around you um that that's what you're going to do and if you lead um if you lead in that way and you're really vocal about that that intent others pick up on it too you know so yeah i think it is about just prioritizing family first you know yeah i I love that i um my wife liz and i we have a 10 week old little boy roman so i feel congratulations (laughs) thank you yeah i feel a similar sense of what you said about no choice but being present because it's just so full on that's been our last sort of um three months of our lives Uh, but i think it's and i think it's great that leaders think like that because i i agree with what you said about people working at their best when they when they want to work and i i think more and more we need to trust people We, we need to hire great people hold them accountable and do accountability really well but trust them to go you know what find the find the integration that, that works for you because people will sacrifice all sorts of things and be up at all sorts of hours to do to get things done if it means that they're then free to you know do the four to seven pm witching hour with if they've got kids or whatever whatever it is that they like for them in their life I think we just need to realize that yeah people we need to trust them more and of course there are some roles where that's really tricky because there's certain hours and and shifts and I think they're the industries that are that are going to have the some of the biggest challenges around this is how do we really um, support and invest in in people where there's less naturally flexible working arrangements? It's a big question. Yeah, and I, I agree, and I, and I think what we're, where we're moving to, particularly you know in a, in a work environment, is that people are people are going to attach themselves to jobs, to, to businesses, to leaders that they feel a connection to purpose with, and and if 
if people are, are moved by that that purpose, um, they're gonna work and they're gonna deliver. Um, you know, at ten o'clock at night on a Wednesday night after they've put the kids down and and done all the things that they need to do because they had to leave the office early to do that. And if that's what works for them, so be it. Like that, that's okay, and we need to acknowledge that and 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 let that be okay. And at the same time, I think as leaders, we also need to to learn how we can create spaces where there is no anxiety around that and that that, that be okay, that everybody has their mm. own way of working and we, we acknowledge that and accept that. You can see that happening at schools, right? Like, you know, the, the, they're, they're trying to have flexible curriculums and flexible teaching styles to, to yeah. suit, you know, yeah. not just the majority but all people, all kids. Um, and I think it's, you know, we, we need to catch up with that in the, in the business world. Yeah, I, I agree. My one of my favorite things around this at the moment, which has really challenged my thinking, um, is Patrick Lencioni's um, working genius assessment. It's uh, it's it's only new, like well, it's probably coming up on a couple of years old. So it's um, but it, it's a really interesting assessment that looks at how we get work done. And the reason it's it's really challenged me is they make an argument about burnout, and they say. Um, they use this. They use this analogy of uh, a coffee cup, saying there's different types of work for all of us, and for some of us, it's the type of work where it's it's really hot coffee. You put it in a cup and you put the lid on, and it's like that sort of work. I can do it. It, it stays hot. I can do that day in day out. Um, the second type is you take the lid off and it starts cooling down. So it starts great, but you know if yeah. I'm plugging away at that day in day out like nonstop, it gets old after a while. And then the third type. Um, and, and I'm sort of giving a really quick overview here, but they they talk about having a hole in the bottom of the coffee cup. And it's like, if I'm doing that work, you're, you've got to realize when you're pouring the coffee in, it might start hot, but it's literally just pouring out the bottom because I'm. this is something that yeah. they call it a working frustration. And their big idea, which is I find um, a really interesting take on work-life integration and burnout, they say, what if people are burning out and, and say re responding by saying, I, I'll, I can't check emails after 5 p.m. What if that comes from rather than the quantity of work, what if it's actually the quality of work? So what they're saying is instead of it being an issue that people were doing 80 hours, what if the issue was that 20 of their 40 hours were actually coffee cup with a hole in it sort of work? Whereas if you're doing yeah. coffee cup full with the lid on, oh boy, you know, I can do a hundred hour week if I need to, if it's full on and that just has to happen because of organizations, particularly if you're in senior leadership, it's that's sometimes the life and that's the integration, right? There's times and, and, and seasons, but if you've got the lid on and it's hot and you're doing that type of work, people can, can do that and actually be very, um, very healthy, even when they're doing bigger hours, as an example. Yeah, I, I think yeah, that's really interesting. I, I like um, I like what you're saying there, and I think you know the onus is on us as leaders. And again, the theme for me is this transition period. I was you know mentioned before about my friend's ear and, and his his idea of the old orthodoxies dying and new ones yet to emerge. And I think that you know the the, the tension then for us as leaders is to hold this space to say you know how do we how do we allow these flexible working environments and flexible working conditions to exist, but at the same time transition people 
um, and it, to, to continue to deliver and to continue to meet KPIs or to, to deliver the outcomes that they've always been required to do. And then at the same time, you know, not take advantage of that as well. If, 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 we're, if we're getting really good performance out of that, not to drive people further and create burnout when we've just found a sweet spot where we're, we're getting good stuff. So there's a lot of, yeah, it's, it's, it's really a shifting sands at the moment uh, and an interesting space for us all to be leading through, I think. I, I like that, though, the three coffee cups. It's cool. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's, uh, it's a really fascinating framework. And um, I'm always paying attention to whenever you recommend something, you watch to see how people respond. And, and a couple of things, like I, I rolled this out with an executive team recently, and it's the sort of assessment where, you know, if you do a good job facilitating it, you're always hoping that people find it helpful, but they've gone and rolled it out across their whole organization. And they did that within weeks because they found it so helpful for how they work. And so whenever something like that happens, I'm like, okay, maybe this is, um, this is particularly helpful. The other one is a, is a book, uh, never split the difference. That's one of my favorite books I've read recently by an FBI, uh, a former FBI negotiator who sort of headed up international, um, negotiation with terrorists for for the FBI and and he takes all the, everything he learned there and puts it into like some principles of how to negotiate in everyday life and that book is also the same every time I give it to someone they come back to me and they're like that book was that book messed with my brain in the best way like it's a so there that working genius is is the other thing that's up there as a um working as, genius okay well you can you buy me those books and I'll get you a copy of on the road mate deal yeah yeah i'm just in brisbane so let's make it happen i will i'll take yeah, you up on that yeah. <laughs> um okay last question if you could only give one piece of leadership advice to a young leader what would you say to them oh i mean it, this is loaded um and particularly a good one to end on john but it is slow down uh, and that's a that's a liam giving advice to a younger liam too you know <laughs> i think it is about slow down and, and um I've had the privilege of working and 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 leading you know, a lot of young um, people as they come through, um, and there is this this desire to move fast, to learn fast, um, and to to you know absorb as much as we can, as quick as we can. And I think that there's a there's a lost art of just slowing down at the moment. The world is moving very fast. It's not going to the world won't slow down. In fact, things are going to get faster. But I think that there is this sort of secret Tai Chi master practice of just <laughs> working out how to slow down, breathing, and being a little bit uh, a little bit more mindful in our in our practices. So mm. um, yeah, for me, it's that slow down. Love it! Such a great uh, such a great place to to land. For those who've loved uh, some of your advice and would like to follow you on social media or, or find out more about Comlink Australia, how can people connect with you online? Um, we're comlinkaustralia.com.au, um, and I'm on most socials as well. Liam Mayo, um, LinkedIn's usually the best way to find me, though, and how most people find me at the moment. Perfect. Well, I want to thank our listeners for tuning in. This uh, this episode has been uh, chock full of uh, great recommendations and um, so many that I hadn't heard of before. So that's one thing I've really enjoyed chatting with Liam. And uh, and I know there'll be a listener out there. You're just jogging by the river or on the on the train, and you know this was the episode that you just needed to hear. Maybe you're that fast paced younger younger Liam, and you needed to hear that slow down. 
<laughs> but um, yeah, yeah uh, don't forget for our listeners, I also have the John O'White Leadership Podcast and the Leadership Question of the Day podcast, two other places you can go to continue to invest in your leadership. But I want to finish today by saying a massive thank you to you, Liam, for uh, being so generous with your time and yeah, for being such a, a joy to spend time with. It's It's been great fun getting to know a bit of your story and chatting about leadership. Thanks for coming on the podcast. It's been a pleasure, Jono. Thanks, mate. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the Leadership Conversations podcast as much as I did. If you're joining us for the first time, don't forget to check out consultclarity.org. That's our website, consultclarity.org. We have so many free resources on there, including our seven questions on leadership series. We've had more than 1,500 leaders from all over the world in all different roles, in different industries, answer these seven questions on leadership and leaders give these in-depth answers around how they spend their time, uh, a book that's been significant for them. It's just a gold mine. It's completely free to access. So go to consultclarity.org and look for that. We'd also love to interview you about your leadership. I believe your experience, your life, your context means that you have advice on leadership that other leaders can learn from. Yes, you, if you're going, not me. Well, no, I really believe you would have something to add. So if you're looking for a way to give back, it's completely free to get involved. And we would love to interview you through the seven questions on leadership. You just go to consultclarity.org forward slash seven dash questions dash interest or Google consultclarity.org seven questions interest and fill out the form and get involved. We have a free resource on our website called the Leadership Survival Guide. It's a 57 page ebook, 10 world-class leaders giving their thoughts on leadership and that's completely free. It's available on our homepage consultclarity.org right at the top. So make sure you go and get that and download it today. And we have a free daily email that you can subscribe to. We send this out to over 15,000 leaders from around the world. And uh, it contains the highlights of content from our podcasts, our blogs, um, our books, books we're reading. It's got the best content and it gives you exclusive, limited early access to our masterclasses, workshops, new products, special offers. It's all for our subscribers. You can go to consultclarity.org forward slash subscribe and join 15,000 other leaders. And you know, my gift to you is to work really hard, particularly through the Leadership Conversations podcast. I have been blown away by the quality of the leaders and I'm learning as much as anyone in doing these interviews. So I'm having a great time. And my gift to you is to keep lining up the best leaders I can to invest in your leadership. Your gift to me, if you're finding this helpful, there is something that you could do that would help us out massively. And that is to write a review and to leave a rating for our podcast or wherever you're watching or listening to this. I can't tell you how much that helps us out. Also subscribe or follow. It really does make a difference in helping us to help more leaders become everything they're meant to be. Another thing that means a lot to me personally is when I see our community share our content. So if you do share this or any other piece of content on social media, then thank you and and please do that. And look for me, John O. White, or Clarity and tag us in your post. Our team is always looking for posts to engage with from our community. And there's also a chance that we'll share your content uh, to go beyond and share it with our followers. 
Last of all, you can check out my book. It's called Step Up or Step Out, How to Deal with Difficult People Even If You Hate Conflict. I wrote this book because 50% of the coaching sessions I have with leaders, this topic comes up again and again and again. And it's this idea of how do I have this difficult conversation? How do I lead this person better when I'm finding them difficult? Or in some cases you look and you say, I think I might be leading a difficult person. They're just quite difficult to lead or I'm finding them quite difficult to lead. So there's a three-step process that I unpack in Step Up or Step Out. And the amazing thing, and I've literally done this myself and I've heard it anecdotally from other leaders as I've coached them, is that if you follow this process, you will see that person step up and change their behavior or make a decision, which is to step out some of the time. Uh, 95% of the time, people will step up or step out in just four weeks. And I stand by that. It's uh, You have to read the book to understand, but uh, I really do believe in it and I've experienced it firsthand. It works. So you can go to Amazon, look up Step Up or Step Out John O. White or store.consultclarity.org forward slash book. Well, thank you so much for listening. We're going to be back with a new episode next time of the Leadership Conversations podcast. And I hope today has helped you to take another step towards becoming the leader you're meant to be. See you next time.